the deep integration that happens in ceremony when you look at the trauma, when you pull back the layers, when you are willing to feel the things that you've suppressed, look at the things that you shut your eyes to, and you sit there for a moment and you just are able to witness it all and allow it all in, you heal yourself. I knew that it was going to be time to work, that this season was going to be a season of work, of going deep into myself and of figuring out what the source of my pain was. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Psychedelics Podcast. I'm your host, Lana. And I'm your host, Zoe. Together, we are going to be taking a journey each week, introducing you to some of the greatest minds in plant medicine and psychedelics. Our intention is to bridge the gap between science and spirituality and to ignite awarenesses, awakenings, and rememberings of divine ancient wisdom. So let's journey. Hello, everyone. Lana and Zoe here. Welcome to the podcast. This is our very, very first episode. We are so happy to have you here and we're so excited to share with you. So today we're going to be sharing our personal journeys of how we came to plant medicine. Yes, it's going to be a good one. We both came to plant medicine from two very different spaces. So it's going to be relatable for probably any and all of you out there in some way. Exactly. And what's so interesting is we came from such different places in history, Zoe, and now we're very much in a synchronized, similar path. Yes. Doing the work. (laughs) Doing the work. So why don't you get us started? Because your story is so interesting. I mean, why don't you just start? All right. So yeah, I mean, my journey to plant medicine is very interesting. I mean, if we would backtrack in time to teenage high school, though, I was very much a goody two shoes. Like I barely drank in high school. I didn't go to my grad party, anything like that. I was very much involved in sports and activities. So I had this aversion to alcohol. And also my mother was an alcoholic. So I just always never wanted to let myself lose control in that way. So I think that's also why I avoided alcohol. And um, throughout university, I had like a couple nights out, but I don't really ever remember having any type of phase where I was partying even after I became legal (laughs) and had the ability to. And what's interesting is that if you would ask that younger version of myself, if I would have ever done like psychedelics or what you know, some people call as drugs, but plant medicine at that time, I would have definitely said, no way, there's no way I would ever do that because I always had this uh, need to feel in control and feel highly aware of what was going on. And, you know, but as time would go on, Mother Ayahuasca began calling and I started to listen. And I guess the call for me happened I had never heard about ayahuasca before in my entire life. And then upon hearing about it, I was doing it that same year. So uh, I guess 11 months later. So what that looked like for me was I was living in Rome, Italy at the time. And I decided to attend a personal development conference in London. 
So I flew up to London for the weekend to do this. It's called Landmark. If any of you guys have ever done it, I did Landmark in London and it was great. Uh, It was inspiring in different ways and I learned different things. But the one thing that really stood out to me about this seminar that I attended over the weekend was that I made a friend, this guy in the lunchroom. He was definitely like a hippie type, I could tell. And I remember I saw him sitting there eating a plastic container of rice and beans. And I immediately thought he's definitely vegan. So I'm going to go ask him if he's vegan because I'm vegan too. And I don't know. I just had this feeling. I feel like sometimes you can tell who eats plant-based and who doesn't. And he definitely looked like he did. And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I actually just became vegan after I went on a trip to Peru. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, what made you make the connection or decide this for yourself. And he's like, oh, ayahuasca. And I was like, whoa, what's ayahuasca? Tell me more. So in the lunchroom over the weekend for these few days, he would tell me all about ayahuasca. And I remember just being so excited for lunchtime because then I would get to learn more like the next day. It was like over a span of three or four days. And after that, I flew home to Rome. And then I remember telling one of my friends, uh, she had just gotten back from Brazil that I heard about this ayahuasca in Peru. And then she's like, oh my gosh, I did ayahuasca when I was just in Brazil and I was going to tell you about that. And I was like, oh my gosh, wow, this is so cool. And it was on my radar. I remember I Google searched it a few times after that. And then, I don't know, it was just something that I just started to hear in passing and my curiosity was definitely sparked. And then fast forward because that seminar was in January and fast forward to the summertime, I found myself in a really a deep rut, definitely a dark night of the soul. Uh, A few of my friends passed away in a tragic accident. And I just felt like I'd hit a wall and hit a ceiling because everything that I wanted for my life had been manifesting like paid travel around Europe and all these different opportunities with YouTube. And I had written four books, like everything that I ever wanted, I could manifest, but I couldn't understand why I felt this toxicity inside, I guess you could say. I just felt like some part of me was sick and I didn't understand. Like I couldn't fully be happy. And I remember it was summertime in Rome and I was had all these trips that I was going on here and there. But in between the trips, I had such a hard time getting out of bed. I would literally lie in bed almost all day. So I want to put things in perspective for our audience. What year was this? Because I just want to, I want people to understand how far you've come in what amount of time. Yeah. I mean, not that much time. I guess this was 2018. Yeah. Because you've made a lot of progress in a very short amount of time. Yeah. So this, and that's what happens when you take the plunge with plant medicines and allow them to be the teacher. Because, you know, I'd come, I'd always been interested in self-development, self-improvement. I'd gone to therapy. I'd hired life coaches before this. And I couldn't understand. I'm like, what is this energetic wall that I'm hitting? Like I said, it felt like a sickness. It, It really felt like I had done everything that I could. And I just was ready to surrender something, something that I just didn't know, right? Like I just didn't know what to do. And I just had this emptiness inside or this void or this toxicity. And then what ended up happening is Rhythmia Life Advancement Center in Costa Rica reached out to me to do a media collaboration. They invited me to come to Rhythmia for a week and create four videos on my experience with ayahuasca. And what I really liked about this collaboration is they gave me complete creative control, which was really nice. They just said, you know, just come, experience, and then talk about it. So I was like, okay. 
So I had a couple of meetings with them just to ask about, tell me more about this place, tell me more about this plant medicine. And then I saw and heard ayahuasca and I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to surrender. I'm a firm believer in synchronicities and the universe having this divine play in it all. So yeah, a few months later, I flew down to Costa Rica from Rome and I took part in four plant medicine ceremonies at Rhythmia. And I'd say that was the perfect place for me to do something like that. One, because Rhythmia is the only medically licensed place to do ayahuasca in the world. So with my need for control type of mind, I uh, really found peace and comfort in that. There was a doctor and paramedics on site when you are doing the plant medicine in case anything goes wrong, but that doesn't really happen. And it was also a luxury resort, right? In Costa Rica. So I was getting massages. They also have like colonic cleanses and plant-based food that is probably the best food that I've ever had in my entire life. And there's uh, seminars every single day to teach you and educate you on ayahuasca, on plant medicine, how to drive it, how to understand your experiences, and also to debrief. They also have a spiritual leader come each week and they provide seminars as well. So you're constantly in this space of healing, growing, evolving, taking care of your body and the four ceremonies that you do have at Rhythmia are in consecutive nights. So you're in the medicine for that period of time. And then, of course, Aya, she stays with you after the fact. But that was my intro to it. And, you know, what's funny is that because, I mean, I don't know, Lan, I have to ask you, watching me on YouTube because you knew of me before I went to do ayahuasca, what did you expect this of me? No, I really didn't. <laughs> so... Some of you may have seen some of Zoe and I's live streams on Instagram where we tell the story of how we met. Long story short, Zoe is a YouTuber with an awesome channel that I had been watching for like five years. Okay. Like she was was like, you know, every time you do a YouTube cleanse, you like detox your YouTube and get rid of people you don't watch anymore. Like Zoe just always made the cut. I've truly loved your videos and watching you grow and evolve. And you always taught me so much. And I was kind of ayahuasca and psychedelics were very much in my awareness and my consciousness. And I hadn't done ayahuasca yet and you uploaded your videos and I was just like, oh my goodness, I would never have expected this from Zoe. Like you came off as someone who really didn't engage in any substances of any kind. Yeah. I mean, besides like my wine adventures in Tuscany and stuff like that, (laughs) I was always like very hesitant to even show wine on YouTube because... This just like didn't really feel like who I was. And so, you know, when I agreed to do this at Rhythmia, I literally remember before we even engaged in ceremony, I had arrived at Costa Rica. I was in a golf cart and they were driving me to my room. And in my mind, I'm like, I can't believe I agreed to tell the entire internet that I came down to the jungle with a bunch of strangers to do some drugs. Like I was (laughs) trying to, that version of Zoe was like, I don't know what I just agreed to, but like I somehow wound up, wound up here. I followed the synchronicities. So like universe, <laughs> you've got it from here. Little did you know what was about, like what door was about to be opened. Oh my gosh. Life. Yeah, all the doors. <laughs> and yeah, so I, it's funny, I have to add this part in too. So I also didn't really tell my parents what I was doing. 
So I told them that I got invited on another like media trip and I was going to Costa Rica and I just like slightly mentioned in passing to my dad like, oh yeah, I'm going to do ayahuasca. And my dad, I remember I called him when I was at the airport and I was like, oh yeah, I'm just letting you know I'm about to board the flight to Costa Rica to go to ayahuasca, remember? And he's like, oh yeah. I'm like, dad, do you know what ayahuasca is? And he's like, oh yeah, it's that volcano or something, right? You're going on a hike. (laughs) And I was like, no, no, dad, dad, it's a tea. And he's like, what do you mean a tea? I'm like, it's like this tea that people drink and they have spiritual experiences. And he's like, okay. I'm like, like with shaman, you know, it's from the Amazon. Like it's a psychedelic. And he's like, oh, dad, like, dealt with that. (laughs) And then he's like, oh, and then luckily, like my stepmom was listening into the conversation And she's very spiritual and she actually came with me to Rhythmia after. But she's like, yeah, Brian, like, I want to try this, like ayahuasca. She's like in tune with it. And so, yeah, then she explained it to my dad. So then he was a little bit more at ease. But then I just went right into my experience. And so I remember we had a couple of seminars teaching us about the medicine beforehand. And Jerry, who runs Rhythmia, he's just so personable and funny. So He made it very light and very trusting experience for all of us before entering into something like that for the first time. And I remember by the time that we got to ceremony, I just loved it so much. We got got into ceremony. We did a rapé and we were all sitting there on our mattresses and it smelled like sage and incense and the shaman. I just couldn't take my eyes off of them. I'm like, yeah, this is everything. I love ceremony. Lana, you love ceremony too. (laughs) Ceremony is the only place I ever want to be. I know. It's my favorite (laughs) place to be is in ceremony. (laughs) And so I was just loving every moment of it. And then finally we got to go up to take our drink of Aya. And, you know, what they had prepped us with is say these special intentions. And the first intention at Rhythmia that you are is to do is to tell the medicine, show me who I've become. So from what I understood is that it was like a choose your own adventure, like the intention will be answered. So I said, show me who it become and shot it back. It didn't taste the best, but it was what it was. And I went back to my mattress. And then I remember listening to the music, just loving the music. And then all of a sudden, Aya started to present herself. And the way that she presented herself was it felt like she was dancing through my veins. And like all I felt was love and very like welcome. She was just saying like, welcome, welcome. And then all of a sudden I went straight into visuals, crackling, like very much psychedelic, like Beatles, full on show, like a full on frackling show. And it was- entertainment. Oh yeah. It was amazing. So then I'm like laughing. I'm like loving it. I like got up and was like- So were you scared because you had never at this point done a psychedelic in your life? Were you like truly enjoying it right away or did you freak out a little bit? I was truly enjoying it right away. So this is what's interesting is that I don't think I've ever been as welcoming to Aya, like fully surrendered than I was that first time. Like I was not scared. I was so excited. But, you know, since doing it, I'm always like, well, now I know that no journey is ever the same. So I know that there's sometimes more subconscious ego resistance and whatnot for her to work through beforehand. But this time I was like, let's just go. And So I got the show, I was like dancing, I got up and was dancing and it was just all this love that I was feeling. And I'm like, I love ayahuasca. This is amazing. (laughs) Like this is my first ever, you know, prior to this, I literally touched 
cannabis like five times. And by I mean touched, it means like I had a puff in Amsterdam because it was Amsterdam type of thing. Right. And so this is my first altered type experience. And then all of a sudden, I started to get more into the vision, like deeper into the vision stuff. And then I remember leaving my body. It was a very like effortless and easy, like leaving my body. I literally saw myself lying on the mattress and then I went up like through the Maloka arrhythmia all the way up past the trees into the cosmos. The astral travel started literally on your first journey ever. Yes. I was so, but you know what? When I think about this, I was at such a dark place in my life. Like I surrendered. I really gave up everything. Like I said, I was, I was so sick and tired. Like that's how it felt like so sick and tired of my way of being my way of living. Like I was so, my soul was so ready. It was so seeking of something different. You know what? That place of being like on your knees, fully surrendered in the darkness. It's so challenging when you're going through it, but it's such a blessing because it is what leads us to step into a new way of being. Yeah, exactly. You need to recognize what it is that you're ready to let go of. You need to get that clarity of I'm, you know, sick and tired of them in this way. I'm emotionally charged and ready to see differently. And you open up that curiosity. And when you open up that curiosity, you're no longer judging yourself and you're coming to Mother Aya or you're coming to the plant medicines like a child. Show me a different way. I'm so ready to see everything is brand new all over again. I'm so ready to release what's not serving me and open myself up to the divine. And, you know, there's been times when I have returned back to ayahuasca when I have been in a similar place to that. And it's always highly transformative versus the second time I went to Rhythmia. I was very excited for the transformation, but I wouldn't say it was as uh, profoundly shifting as it was this first time or the deeper healing that I did at the end of 2020. So yeah, I left my body. I forgot who Zoe was. I forgot I was up there in the cosmos and I uh, was up there with me and she's like, okay, we have to go back down to your body now. And I was like, earth? Like, I don't want to go back to earth. There's so much work to do on earth. And she had to really talk me to come back down to my body. She's like, you, you are in Costa Rica right now. You knew that you were coming here. You knew that you were coming here to do work for Zoe. Like when she was talking about Zoe and I had forgot like who I was. And I was like, ooh, but earth, I feel so resistant to that dense energy. And then finally she coaxed me to come back down to my body. And I remember- (laughs) She coaxed you? (laughs) Yeah, like she's like, come on. Like, you know, there's planet earth. There's like gifts. There's abundance that await for you in your life. You came here to do this work. Like you have to come back You volunteered to be here. You got to come back. (laughs) And so she said she would make it fun. So I remember I agreed and I entered back into my body. And when I entered back into my body, it was literally like I was in the magic school bus going, moving through my veins. Like I was literally like this at this micro level within my body. And I was like surfing through my veins. And she's like talking to me through this. I'm like moving through my body. And she's, okay, so when you see a black box, you're going to smash it. And I was like, okay. So I'm like surfing through my veins. I'm like, yeah, I found a black box. And I'm like so excited. And she's like, okay, smash it. And I was like, okay, so I smashed it. And in the three-dimensional reality, as soon as that happens, I was on all fours purging into my bucket. 
it was like I was in my body, but I wasn't actually where she had set me up for me to be on my hands and knees purging into that bucket. It was the wildest thing. I didn't remember getting into that position or anything because I was like surfing through my veins. And then I'm vomiting into the bucket. And what they advised us at Rhythmia to do is to look into the bucket and ask what that was. But upon purging, I heard this voice, a younger version of myself say, yucky mommy. So weird, like yuck. And then I just started purging more and more into the bucket. I looked into the bucket and it was cosmos like spinning around. It wasn't vomit. Like I don't, I'm sure other people have had that experience because it's something that I've heard a lot of people recall. It looks like rainbows. It looks like stars. It looks like whatever. And so I asked, what was that? And all of a sudden I went voom into my bucket. I was into a full vision and I was at the corner of my mom's apartment when I was very young, like probably around four or five. And she was on the phone and she pushed me and she said, get out of the way, you stupid little bitch. And I guess in regards to my intention of show me who I'd become, it had been someone who internalized all uh, the ways in which my mother treated me. And I purged that out. So I saw that I purged out that memory. And from further integration of that experience, I understand that that was the time in which my soul took the backseat of my life and my ego took the forefront. So with this, it's like we're all born onto this planet as like beautiful, vibrant, abundant souls. And there is a point in time in which we first feel unsafe. And that is when the ego moves to the forefront and the soul moves to the back, as in when constructs start to become created. So this was that moment in time when my soul split, if you will, split and the ego took the forefront. So through the journeys at Aya and what I've come to learn through my experiences at Rhythmia, because I do such a good job at teaching integration and educating you on what's actually happening to your soul at that level is that you have to learn where the soul split to be able to merge the soul back at all costs. So that was my first experience on Aya. And so I remember coming down and I remember like being confused a little bit because at the end of it, I was too scared to smash the next box <laughs> that I found in my body <laughs> because I didn't want to vomit again. And she d- told me, she's like, if you smash this box, you can talk to God. And I was like, well, can I bring my friends? Because it was this five-year-old version of myself that I was. Oftentimes when I'm in ayahuasca, I turn into the child. And she's like, no, you can't bring your friends. I'm like, well, I want to. I think actually I have friends on earth that could benefit from this more than I can. So can they come? And she's like, no, this journey is yours and you're meant to walk it alone. And that was a powerful lesson in itself. So basically I just sat outside the gates of heaven where I was supposed to talk to God with holding this black box because I didn't want to smash it because I didn't want to purge and I didn't want to do it alone. And then she just showed me a baby in a blanket and she's like, okay, well, if you're not going to do this, you can send this baby love. And this was my younger self. So I just looked at this baby in a blanket and sent the baby love and love and love. And then that's as I was started to come down. And I remember I sat there after I was confused. I was like, wow, this was wild. Whatever just happened to me was out of this world as a full on spiritual awakening. Like I thought I was woke before Aya. And then all of a sudden I was woke to like the cosmos and outer space and dimensions and souls and leaving my body astral travel like all that happened for me in one night and then like it was 
I'm still waiting for the astral travel. So yeah, but I mean, it, it makes sense. If I really came, I also like really took the dieta seriously. So I mean, she didn't really have to work through any alcohol or I'd been uh, plant-based for quite some time at that point. And so I've always kind of feel like I've had a clear system for her to work with. And I remember asking the shaman, like, I don't know what happened to me. First, I was seeing all this psychedelic art and like magic. And then all of a sudden I left my body. And then she told me I had to go back down to earth to do work. And then I'm like in my body and then I'm purging. And then I can't talk to God because I can't bring my friends. And then I'm like sending this baby love. And they're like, yeah, like you were the one who was up dancing at the beginning, right? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, so she gave you the gift of getting your childhood back. And as soon as the shaman said that to me, I started to think about my childhood. And it was like, I couldn't even think about it the same way that I thought about it before. I really could tell in that moment that my brain had been rewired. And I was like- It changed the way that you related to the memory. Totally. And just like the chapter of life it was in the past. And the next day we were, the next day I had a throbbing headache. I remember we were in this seminar and I was like, I literally like, I'm barely paying attention here. Like all I can hear is the thump, 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 thump in my head. And after we're like getting up to leave the seminar, this guy comes up to me and he's like, hi, he's like, you were in front of me on a mattress last night. And I was like, oh yeah. And he's like, so I don't know what you had as an experience last night because I didn't share in the debrief or anything with anyone. And he said, but there was this little blonde girl she's probably about four or five. He's like, I see auras. I see things, by the way. And there was this little blonde girl and she was sitting with you the entire night. And he's like, I walked actually by you to get more medicine. And you just like hugged her even tighter. Like you didn't want anyone to like touch her like she was yours. And you were up dancing with her and having this experience with her. And after he said that, I'm like, wow, there's another thing I'm awakening to because this is all just next level for me. There was other, somebody else in that room saw something else around me. Did you believe in that stuff before? Yes, I did. But it was just like the universe was throwing me so much evidence at once. And I love that kind of stuff. I've always been interested in like past lives and like, you know, the spiritual stuff, the extraterrestrials, all of that, ghosts even. Like I've always loved, loved, loved that content. And then all of a sudden it was all happening to me and the evidence was all there and the universe was telling me, open yourself up, open yourself up, lift the veil. Here is everything. And then that was my first experience with ayahuasca. After that at Rhythmia, I had four more ceremonies. My life completely shifted after that. And I mean, I'll leave it at that because the story times are on YouTube. If you guys are curious, I've created a lot of videos on ayahuasca and just like story times of the journeys that I've had. But life was truly never the same after that. I mean, part of that experience was that Ayahuasca told me to move back to Toronto and I did. Like she gave me all these answers and I went with it and my life completely transformed because of it in all the most beautiful ways. And the gifts that I got from that experience, they never shifted and changed. And those journeys were very much all about healing everything around my mom because she's not in my life. She hasn't been in my life for over a decade, and she won't be in the future. So I was able to see things and heal things that I just would not be capable of doing or achieving in the three-dimensional reality. And for that, I am so forever, forever grateful to Aya. 
because I just would have never known. What do you think it is about ayahuasca or any psychedelics, ayahuasca for you, that makes it so possible to do this work that we wouldn't be able to do without it? Or it would be very challenging too. Yeah, what what my experience is with Aya in regards to seeing the things that I can't unsee. So those next days at Rhythmia that followed, I saw extraterrestrials. I went back up into the cosmos. I saw memories of I literally watched what happened to my mother when she was younger that was her trauma. And there's no way that a lot of people have this experience. A lot of people that I've spoken to or heard share it with me as well is that you see the memories of your parents and where their trauma was formed. And when you see where their trauma was formed, you ultimately are able to forgive the unforgivable. You're able to forgive different layers and levels of trauma that they've caused you because you see where they were initially hurt. She's a perspective shifter. She allows us to see and not only see, but feel feel in your body, in your heart, a different way that you had never considered before. Exactly. And it's in seeing those things and feeling them. But like, for me, it's really about like seeing, I tend to have like visual journeys because when I see it, I fully believe it. I mean, I can be kind of skeptical. And even like now when I have more spiritual, mystical experiences in my waking life, I still always question them. I'm still always seeking validation like, oh, did that come to me or did I just see that? I still am working on my validation in this way in different aspects. But with Aya, like seeing my mother as a child and seeing what happened to her, I I know that that was truth. And there's no way that I would have ever been able to channel that type of memory or even have been able to fabricate it or think about it. And just as you said, it changes your perspective because I've never thought about why my mother treated me the way that she did. But in that time when I saw her memory, it gave me everything that I needed to heal and to forgive her. It just wouldn't have been possible. And they say that doing ayahuasca can be like 20 years of therapy in one night. I swear to God, that first trip to Rhythmia, I did like not even just like my lifetime worth of healing. I healed my ancestors as well during that time. And it just opened me up to like everything as extraterrestrials, ancestors, like everything was happening all at once for me. And it was so beautiful. And again, that's why I'm forever grateful because I just, I would have never known. I would have never known if it wasn't for Aya. But as she told me, I, I knew that I was coming there. <laughs> I knew I chose that before I I walked through the veil of forgetfulness and entered planet Earth. I chose to take ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. Divine appointment. Can you tell us how you came to psilocybin, your runner-up to ayahuasca? Because when you uploaded a psilocybin video, I was like, what? (laughs) She had like picked up her sleeve. (laughs) So, you know, after doing Aya, like I was very much knew that she was my teacher. She was, you know, I never really had the mother that I desired, but it's like mother nature is now my mother. I as my mother in these different ways. And so I always feel very much like that's my medicine. But then my first summer in Toronto was the first time that I actually tried psilocybin. So 
what ended up happening is that a few of my friends, I knew that they did magic mushrooms sometimes. And I was like a little bit curious, but I wasn't sure. And it was like around me sometimes, but I didn't dabble in it. And then all of a sudden, it just started to really spark my curiosity, but more so in the space that one of my friends who would do mushrooms and spoke about them, he's like, oh, yeah, I microdose them. And at that time, I was microdosing ayahuasca. So I was very curious. And I remember they're like, you're microdosing ayahuasca and you're resistant to <laughs> psilocybin? Like, let's talk about that. True. <laughs> and so I was like, oh. Well, Although psilocybin know. is like more intense often than ayahuasca, I would yeah. argue, but I digress. <laughs> yeah. And so I don't really know, like, I remember what happened is that there was, we had this group of friends the weekenders. Just, that's what we called ourselves, the weekenders, because we would hang out every weekend and we would just have like depthy spiritual chats, listen to music and like do fun things in the city, like go to vegan festivals and stuff. So I remember they had the mushrooms out and me and another of my friends who was there, he had never done them before either. And we were both kind of like going back and forth, like, should we try it tonight when everyone's like trying? I'm like, should we? And so yeah, decided to take a little bit and it was so fun. I, you know, I didn't, I took them with the intention that I would be shown a loving experience with psilocybin because I was resistant. And, you know, it was fun. I was like laughing. We, yeah, I remember we went to a vegan festival and we were like outside walking along the waterfront and talking about life. And it was just a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And then, you know, I continued in that way. I would say more. It's always, I always made sure I took psilocybin with an intention. I never took enough to have like a journey at that point, but I took them with the intention of like, show me love, show me insights until one night I accidentally took too much. And then I had a, a journey and experience when I wasn't <laughs> intending to. Yeah, that, I guess that was my experience. It was very like innocent. And then it turned into more of now I just use it for microdosing and for ceremonies, as you know, Lana, because we've had some. <laughs> yes, our quarantine ceremonies. Yeah, love them. Love them. <laughs> so fun. When's the next one? <laughs> Soon. <laughs> we'll find it after we get off this podcast. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but Lana, I know that you came to plant medicine from a very different path that I did. Very different. Yeah, I honestly feel like you know, there's probably a lot more similarities of people that I've spoken to anyways, who have found their way to Aya that have similarities to your journey. So let's dive into that. Okay, well, first of all, thanks for sharing your story with us. And yeah, anyone who wants to check out Zoe's videos in more depth, we'll definitely link them in the show notes. But yeah, so my journey to plant medicine was definitely not as innocent and cute as Zoe's. <laughs> so, I mean, if I want to start in high school, let's say I was the opposite of you. I was drinking every weekend, getting drunk every weekend. I was definitely the party girl, like capital T, the party girl, you know? And I can't I can't see this version of you, Lana. Right? Like just, just knowing you now, like you're gonna have to send me some pics. Like, <laughs> I need to put a piece to this, like this uh, party girl, Lana. <laughs> yeah, she had a blonde face. She was a bit heavier, you know. 
she was very airy, like, you know, the grounded version of me, you know, like the earth element, Lana, that's grounded. I was very airy before. Okay. Yeah. But the, the drinking and the partying continued into university. And it's interesting looking back on it because I don't think I ever enjoyed drinking alcohol. But the truth is, I had a really, really tough time in university finding people to connect with. I felt really lonely. I know most people go off to university or if you're listening in the States, college, and they just have the best time. They meet their best friends. They meet their people. I did not have that experience. So I was left basically doing the things that I thought I was supposed to be doing to like be cool and make friends, which was going out and drinking and partying to the point of blacking out sometimes. Like it, it makes me sick to my stomach to think about it. And I'm just so happy that I stopped drinking since then. But that was kind of like setting the stage for substances, I suppose. And I went off to grad school. And in grad school, I had, let's say my first heartbreak, my best friend of seven years ended our friendship. And it really broke my heart. It was devastating. It came out of nowhere. And we were very close. And I was really broken. And so I was like 20 years old or something. I had never been to therapy. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle it. And looking back, I know that I was just numbing that pain with alcohol and eventually, oh God, I know my parents are going to be listening to this. So I'm going to regret saying this, but drugs. <laughs> there That's it okay, is. Lana. That's okay. I feel like we're going to be out. talking about these things. <laughs> yeah, it's out. And, you know, I eventually met like a new group of friends and we were ravers. Like we were out every weekend in Toronto. At, those of you in Toronto, we were like at Coda. At, oh my gosh, what was that one that just shut down? The Hoxton. Like I was out partying every weekend while writing my master's thesis in grad school. And I was getting into some stuff that was just absolute numbing. And I was a vampire. I would stay out until 4, 5, 6 a.m. and come home. And then during the week, I would have to go to school. And then on the weekends, I would just repeat it and do it all over again. Yeah. How were you feeling at that time? Because I just imagine like you're obviously the type of woman who got everything done and did it all. I am kind of imagining this like badass cool version of like Lana who's out there like partying in this scene, but then also brilliant and smart because you're so smart. You're like getting all the homework done. Like, but how did you feel between like living these like two separate lives, a, a studious version of yourself and the raver version of yourself? Honestly, I don't know if I would define myself in grad school as studious. <laughs> But you were in grad school. Lana. I was like, in grad school. Like to be in grad school. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wrote a thesis, which is like crazy. If yeah. you go to the University of Guelph's website, you can like see my 120 page thesis on biotechnology. <laughs> like, yeah, it's crazy. But I felt very heavy, very sad. And by heavy, I mean that dense energy, right? Very lost. I eventually started going to therapy. My friend, Emma, who's amazing, encouraged me to start going to therapy, which changed my life. And that really helped me to heal the wound of the friendship that just ended. But I mean, I was still addicted to partying. I was addicted to fun. 
but that fun was so not good for me. So that was going on for, I don't know, maybe like two or three years. And then around the age of 26, I'm 30 now, around the age of 25, 26, we started going to this festival called Harvest. This was my opening into spirituality. Harvest is like Burning Man in Ontario. And it's like 2000 people and very small and intimate. And it's the dimension of its own. Like everyone there is like very in sync, very in tuned. And it opened up my eyes to this new way of quote unquote partying. (laughs) Okay. What was the setting like? Can you paint us a photo? Is it like a camping setting? Is it like a field and people are sleeping in their cars? What's the... It's beautiful. Yeah, it's a camping festival. It's in September. So the drive up is stunning. The trees are just like another level of gorgeous. And yeah, you set up camp. It's on this private property in a kind of forested area, but it is more of an open field surrounded by forest. There's a river that runs through the land. There's a barge. And there's three stages. And one of the stages was the pyramid stage where they played reggae and dub and like drum and bass. And oh my God, such fun memories (laughs) of just dancing all night. But in this new way of being surrounded by people who were in tune and very spiritual. And this is where I started to experiment with more psychedelics. This is where I tried LSD for the first time. This is where I um, tried mushrooms, I believe. No, I tried mushrooms before that. But I will say that my first significant experience with psychedelics was at this festival. I was a smoker at the time because every good raver party girl is a smoker, of course. Like you have to have your cigarettes. I just Uh, can't picture this version (laughs) of you, Lana. (laughs) I love that you can't picture it. I love that. (laughs) So I was a smoker, but I've also always been really into wellness and health and eating well and taking care of my body, although I wasn't really doing it at that time. But it's always been this core value for me. And I was on LSD for the first time in my life. And I mean, that in itself, I could do a whole podcast about because it was just incredible. It was like being a child again. Like We're going to do a full episode on your first LSD experience, <laughs> noting it now. But I do want to know more about how awakening this first experience was. It was like you look down at your hand and you're seeing your hand for the first time ever in this way that you've never been able to see it before. Like you can see what your body is made of. You can see all the blood running through you, the muscles, the tissues, everything connecting you. So you're like connected to yourself in this new way. But then everything is also joy and bliss and funny and hilarious. Like you're I was on the grass, like laughing at something. And I literally thought I was going to die. I was like, this is it. I'm going to die of laughter. Like, this is how I'm going to (laughs) go. But then you look at the air and you can see all the waves and particles in the air and you're part of it and you're connected to all of it. And I mean, it was just a completely different experience for me. Yeah. So how does... LSD differentiate from you between psilocybin? Because I had similar experiences like laughing, seeing sacred geometry on psilocybin and having like that experience. So what made LSD so different? LSD is a bit more clear. Okay. It's more clear and you're more in control. Like you can kind of turn it on and off, I found. Oh. Yeah. You can kind of get yourself in control 
Okay. If you need to. It's LSD is like the most sober you've ever been. Well, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Explain That's this more. It. Yeah. It's like everything is so sharp and crisp and you're seeing things as they really are because you're like seeing things as the most sober you've ever been. You just see everything so clearly. You can see the air. You can see every color so vividly. You can experience everything so vividly. Right. Does it affect your peripherals then like psilocybin does? Like you can see a wider screen, let's say, your eyes like in that way. Or is it more so I'm like not sure about that. talking about the depth of things? Things like move, like you would see on psilocybin, like colors move and merge, like things like if you're looking at a painting, the painting will like start breathing, like you can see the life in everything. We got to do LSD sometime, Zoe. LSD is like my fun one. And it's great because it's not toxic. It's a very clean one. Is you know, it? Not like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very non-toxic. Okay. And yeah, that's part of the reason why they use it. They used to use it in clinical trials in like the 50s and 60s because it was very non-toxic. Oh, you learn something new every day. Yeah. I feel like I've had a slight aversion to it because I'm such a – clinical. Yeah, because it's um, man-made versus yeah. uh, mother Gaia-made. <laughs> yeah, I get that. And I haven't done it in so long too, but it's so much cleaner than like MDMA for me. Okay. Yeah. But on this first experience with LSD, I was a smoker, right? Mm -hmm. And I was sitting there, it was the afternoon, and I was sitting there having a cigarette by the fire. And I was like, why am I doing this? This is disgusting. It's gross for my body. I'm like literally killing myself. I'm inhaling all these toxins. I'm polluting the air. Why am I doing this? I want to quit. I want to stop. This is not me. I'm going to stop. And I had my last cigarette that day. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I stopped. I decided on LSD that that was going to be the end. And wow. it really was. Like something in my brain integrated in a way that I would not have been able to if I were sober. Yeah, like were you addicted to smoking cigarettes? Oh, yeah. Wow. I love how you came to this decision on your own too. Like it wasn't like you went into LSD with the intention like I really want to quit smoking. It was more of you just allowed yourself to awaken to it. Yeah, it was like a truth that was within me, but that expanded consciousness and awareness allowed me to access that and tap into it and integrate it, right? Wow. So that was my first experience with psychedelics where I was like, okay, there's something more to this than just being a party drug. There's something here. So I went home after that weekend and I went in. I started doing so much research, Zoe, about like the default mode network and neuroplasticity and like just how these psychedelics are working on our brains. And I started discovering all of this research and just anyone listening to this podcast is probably like aware of what I'm talking about, but my mind just opened up to the idea that psychedelics are actually pretty freaking incredible for rewiring our brains, being therapeutic, releasing traumas, all of this stuff. So you've always been studious, Lana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, intelligent. A dork. Yeah, no, no, no. It's perfect because it's always been part of your identity. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. I don't know. When I get into something, I get into something. Yeah. I love it. I can't get enough. 
Right now, that happens to be um, aliens, thanks to you. Yes. <laughs> we'll get into that in the future. Yeah, that'll be another episode. So that happened with LSD. And then the other kind of like significant moment on my journey before I came to ayahuasca was I was living up in Thunder Bay. And Zoe, I've told you the story before, but I was living up in Thunder Bay. We did a little bit of acid, a little bit of psilocybin. I forget what that's called. Is that like, it's like a candy flip or something? I don't even know. But such a fun day. <laughs> and by the way, doing all of this super responsibly, just a disclaimer and putting that out there, always a trusted source, tested substances and all of that. I just feel like I want to say that. Had such a fun day at this like mini music festival type of thing in the wilderness, like way, 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 way outside of the city. And we were completely isolated and the night came and I was at a fire with my friend and I was talking to her and looking at her and I saw her face, but I recognized her soul. And I was like, oh my God, I've known her before. And that was the first time I had this like past life connection with someone where it was like this deja vu moment of recognizing someone. Wow. It was really cool. And then after I was just closing my eyes and enjoying the trip and in my mind's eye, I just started seeing all of the sacred geometry forming and forming, but it was pulling up. And as the pattern was like ascending upwards, it was bringing my head upwards. And eventually my head was just facing the sky directly. And I just heard a voice in my set be like, look up. All of the answers are up there. I love it. And I looked up and it was this insanely clear star-filled sky. I mean, I saw like 10 to 20 shooting stars that night. That was definitely like a significant part of my spiritual awakening and shifting from that raver use of psychedelics into a more spiritual intentional usage. So at this point, ayahuasca was on my radar. I was in a relationship with a man and he was going through quite a lot of things and was looking for alternative options for treatment. And he found ayahuasca and he came to me and said, Hey, like I did all this research and like, check this out. You know, it's doing incredible things for some people. I think I need to go try this. And then we kind of went down this hole together of, of researching this medicine watching all the documentaries, I think during this time is when you uploaded your YouTube videos. Okay, a synchronicity. Yeah, definitely. And that phase of researching ayahuasca probably went on for a year to a year and a half mm -hmm. before I felt ready to do it. Okay. Yeah. It was very scary to me. The purging. Yeah. The memories coming up the digging into your shadow it was terrifying to me may i add, like it's so interesting because i feel like thinking about your experiences like trying acid or doing like lsd especially in such public like that is what scares me mm -hmm. versus like hearing like oh this healing this intense healing is fearful so what do you feel like really put up the resistance for you? Was it a story time that maybe you were watching on YouTube of someone's or was it like a documentary that you watched that kind of spooked you a little bit? No, that's an easy answer. It was the fear of what I might discover about myself and my life. 
Okay. What specifically was that? I was scared that I would discover something that I wouldn't be able to deal with. You know, some sort of really, really dark traumatic memory stored deep inside of me that I've repressed. I was just scared of the truth. Yeah. I was living a life that was very convenient to me, but that wasn't good for me. Okay. Right. And like you spoke about having fun. Mm -hmm. And so what, when did you feel like it was time for Aya? Mm -hmm. So it's hilarious because I'll tell you the funny part after. <laughs> We're still I'm loving all of it. Like, uh, I'm, here for, I'm here for the funniness and the, the seriousness and, and everything in between. <laughs> uh, I'm trying not to jump around with the timelines too much. So this person and I ended up breaking up. The relationship ended and I was heartbroken. I was devastated. It was the first time I had been through a breakup with someone that I really loved. It was a person you meet at 25 who you think you're going to marry, you know, and it was kind of like we were together for quite a while. We lived together. There was a lot of pain and struggling and just trauma in our relationship. So I knew that it was going to be time to work, that this season was going to be a season of work of going deep into myself and of figuring out what the source of my pain was. Because the way that the relationship ended was just so devastating. It wasn't like because we didn't love each other or didn't want to be together. It was literally because we couldn't be in a relationship because both of us were just too traumatized to love in a healthy way. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So... Like I said, I was broken, broken. And eventually it was like, yeah, it's time now. It's time. Right. That was the rock bottom that I needed to be brave enough to enter Ayahuasca's kingdom. <laughs> her right. Kingdom, sorry, her queendom. And surrender. And surrender. Yeah. So the funny thing is, what I was talking about before, is that my ex was the one who found this retreat center that I now go to very often. And he hasn't even, at least I, I'm not sure, but like he didn't end up going or doing ayahuasca. So I always like joke with my shamans now. I'm like, oh, like that was the whole point of that relationship and that person. He was like supposed to connect me to you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So first ceremony for me was like, all right, like, let's go do this thing. Like, it's time to heal. I had been doing some therapy. I had been doing like these like CODA for anyone who knows what CODA is. It's like Codependence Anonymous because, you know, after the end of a relationship, you're just in victim mode and you blame yourself for everything. At least that's what I did. I found that the CODA group was very much based around self-blame. And it's funny, when I started doing ayahuasca, I stopped going to CODA because I was getting like nothing out of it and so much more from ayahuasca. And yeah, when I went to my first ceremony, I was like, all right, let's do this. Like I have a weekend, two ceremonies, like we're going to heal. We're going to like puke a little bit. It's going to happen. And then I'm going to be healed. And then like life will go on. Life will go on and everything will be great. And of course I was so wrong. And just to put things into perspective a little bit since that time that was October 2019 so a little bit over a year ago 
I've had 16 ceremonies with ayahuasca. So I have been on the speed train to healing. And I don't say that in a way to like brag and be like, oh, like I've done so many ceremonies. Like, look at me. I'm just trying to like put into perspective my devotion to this path and this medicine and how quickly it became clear to me that this was the medicine for me to work with. And I mean, the first weekend was just a lesson in surrender, a lesson in soul contracts, and a lesson in what was that? It was that the ego is the masterpiece of the mind. That was what I came out of my first ceremony with. The ego is the masterpiece of the mind. It's like a work of art. It is so good at doing what the mind wants it to do, right? And I got this message from ayahuasca because for the first night, I just had to sit in the misery of my mind being super loud and super pointless, to be honest. Like these songs that I hadn't heard in like 15 years were playing through my mind. And I was just having to witness the noise in my mind. Okay, powerful. Yeah. And honestly, Zoe, it separated me from that. I had to witness it and see it and acknowledge it. And now my mind is very quiet and peaceful. And that was a shift that was made after that initial ceremony. So you could tell after the initial ceremony that the brain had been rewired in a more positive way. Yeah. And like beyond the brain being rewired, I stepped into this like new way of being and operating. Did it feel spiritual? (laughs) Yes, it did. It did. And I think a lot of that has to do with the ceremony space itself, the shamans, the music, the energy. And that's what's so unique about ayahuasca is that you get the ceremony. The ceremony comes with it in a package. But it's been a lot of healing. And I would say I'm, you know, I went into ayahuasca. I came to ayahuasca with a very, very broken heart and lost soul. And you know, today I feel so full of love. I don't feel broken anymore. I don't feel like I have a broken heart anymore. I trust everything. I trust that person who was in my life once had a contract with me to teach me all of these things. And now I just send him love and I say, thank you. Thank you for being my teacher. And that's what ayahuasca has done for me. It's the perspective. It's the perspective. It's a new way of being. It's a different consciousness and awareness. Yeah. And how do you feel like, uh, you know, doing as many ceremonies as you have, that your relationship has developed with her over time? It's interesting, Zoe, because when you talk about your ceremonies and rhythmium and just for everyone listening, so you know, I was doing medicine close to home around Toronto. So our brews are probably very, very different. And you've been to this space as well. So you can speak to that. Do you feel like the brews were a little bit different? Definitely. I mean, I think I tasted the same. (laughs) In regards to the difference, I think it's a matter of like the sacred space that things are, are set. I think that the reason why my experiences at Rhythmia have been 
different than those here. Both, like all the same, well, all one and the same in the way that I wouldn't trade any night for any experience anywhere else because they're all magical. But I think with Rhythmia, there's a higher volume of people there. So what the what some spiritual leaders and teachers who visit Rhythmia have come to say is that because so many people are traveling to this one space to with powerful intention of transformation and the shaman and the goddesses and everyone who is guiding that ceremony, they hold space for like 70 to I think 90 people per ceremony. Wow. So as much as I can say like it's the medicine, I think it's like I remember that first ceremony coming down from ayahuasca and thinking like this was 50% energy work and 50% ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. The things that I saw, like when I left my body, I saw a grid that was, I saw like a blue lit energetic grid that was all around the Maloka. So and many I, people who have been to Rhythmia have said that, the sacred grid. Okay, so that's interesting because, yeah, because so many people travel there with this powerful intention and are doing the medicine on a weekly basis, it's created this vortex, this like healing vortex where I would say like, I would say, I don't want to judge anything or label anything, but I'd say my experiences on ayahuasca at Rhythmia have been like very radical and like right. <laughs> literally out of this world because of the, just the energetics that are at play. Yeah, I left my body so fast and there's a reason why it wasn't so difficult for me and I think it's just because like that's the energy that everyone was came there for right yeah we came here to heal like let's do it (laughs) yeah and I think the brew like takes on the energy of the environment the place and the people of course well the shaman bless it with their energy and their intention so in doing like ayahuasca rhythmias you you take a different brew each night So each night there definitely is the essence of the shaman in the brew. And that's one thing that I have noticed. And also doing ayahuasca in Canada now at the same place that, well, like you introduced me to, brought me into the tribe and I'm forever grateful, Anna. (laughs) (laughs) But their energy is in that experience for me. And I can tell it so well from doing doing the medicine with multiple different shaman. Mm-hmm. I can tell that this is their brew and this is their intentions versus at Rhythmia because the second time that I went back to Rhythmia, there was some nights that were the same with the same shaman and it was a very similar experience that I had the year previously on the medicine. Very similar themes, very similar energy, very similar. Like I said, I'm a very, I tend to journey very visually and the same artwork would appear with the same shamans. So that was very interesting for me. Yeah. I think that the brew that we have here in Canada is probably a bit different for a few reasons, but I believe one of the main reasons is because it's specifically tailored for North America, right? And there's just a lot of heaviness and a lot of density up here. Yeah. And this medicine that I have been working with for over a year now is very purgatory for me. So for me, my ceremonies have been about purging. Like, you know how you've only purged twice? I've only not purged twice. Lana, I've actually purged three times now. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Three times. (laughs) I'm sorry. Yeah. So for me, 
it became more and more spiritual the more that I released and purged and the lighter I became and the closer to light source I became and the more that my frequency has been increasing. But in ceremony, there have been very, very spiritual moments of like being blessed by the shamans or having like ancestral clearing being done on me. But for me, I would say that this first segment of ayahuasca in my life, let's say, because I do feel like I'm entering a new way of working with her, has been about releasing and purging a lot. Right. She has layers to work through in different ways. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most people per like at Rhythmia, it was very rare. The fact that I, I purged the first night I tried ayahuasca, the third night I tried ayahuasca and yeah, that was the most that I purged until this most recent time doing ayahuasca I purged in December. Yes, so, you did. Yeah, and I was I there did. like <laughs> clapping for you. <laughs> yeah, I was up there with the shaman and I did it. <laughs> I, was, I did it. So proud um, of you. Yeah, and it's not like, you know, in ways I feared the purge, but Mother Ayahuasca will always give you what you need. And I think above all, it doesn't matter where you do it or what brew you're taking because it's going to be different for everyone. It's going to be different every single night. And she will only ever and always give you what you're capable of handling in that time or what would work best for you. Exactly. Every journey is perfect. Yes. Every journey is perfect. And like everything is perfect. That's what ayahuasca has taught me, like not just in ceremony, but literally it's it's all perfect. It's all perfect. (laughs) I feel like we might have lost a few listeners after that, but. (laughs) If you come from already having done plant medicine, guarantee you probably already had this experience of the, you know, it's all perfect lesson. I mean, we always have to come back to it. I have to remind myself of it sometimes when I'm having an ego day and whatnot, but it is. the faith and the trust and spirit though. Yeah. And it comes from doing the plant medicine for me, like I didn't fully understand the perfection of the universe until I came to do ayahuasca. Mm. That's for sure. It was actually something that I really struggled with because I felt like I'd read all the books, like I'd read all these spiritual books. I was practicing everything. I was doing therapy. I had a life coach. And then when I said that I lost these friends in a tragic accident, I remember a few days later, I was on a sponsored med sailors trip. So I was like literally yachting through Croatia. And I was having some fun, yes, but I was deeply, deeply saddened inside because I couldn't understand why the universe would take away such beautiful, loving, and inspirational people. I just couldn't understand. I literally felt like life wasn't fair. Like that was what was like really showing up for me. Like I'm like, how could this happen? I don't know if I want to be here on planet Earth anymore if this is the way things are working because I don't understand it. And I literally remember every morning I would get up and I would like sit at the front of the boat when we were coasting through the water and I would just meditate for an hour on this question. Why did the universe take such beautiful souls away? It doesn't make sense to me. And I remember I came to this little conclusion in my mind just to put the ego at rest, just to put my soul at rest. And it was maybe because, you know, we are immortal spiritual beings having a temporary human experience and maybe those souls were needed elsewhere. Maybe there was a family out there who struggled to have children and all of a sudden twins needed to be born or something like those souls were needed in other places. And 
that was the only place that I could rest my soul and my ego at that point. But it's like when I did Aya and I flew up into the cosmos when I astral projected, whatever you want to call it, and I left my body and she showed me how perfect life was, it was that it was all love. And if it's all love, then it's all perfect. And it's all working out in our favor. And these lessons were things that I'd heard before, read before in spiritual books, but there's a difference between intellectually knowing and then having something fully download into your inner knowing. And I feel like that's mainly been my experience with Aya. And she takes the things that I've learned through books or experiences, and then she downloads the lessons into my system so that I can't unlearn what I've learned and I can't regress from how much I've grown. And in that way, I just, I also know too that ayahuasca will always be a part of my life because of this powerful integration of life that she provides for me. And then integrate when you come back down to earth, as we all know, but the deep integration that happens in ceremony, when you look at the trauma, when you pull back the layers, when you are willing to feel the things that you've suppressed, look at the things that you shut your eyes to, and you sit there for a moment and you just are able to witness it all and allow it all in, you heal yourself. And then- ceremony right there. Yeah, that that is ceremony right there. And then- you know, there's a reason why people have such an afterglow after ayahuasca, especially. Because she just, she not only heals you from the inside out, but your entire perspective of life shifts in such a magical way where you lean into more of that trust. And you can't help but glow more on the outside when you trust the universe, when you trust your life. I mean, I feel like my eyes have changed completely this year. I look in the mirror and I'm like, my eyes are huge and beautiful and I am present and I am there and my soul is there. And like, even my shamans mirrored this back to me. And I thank ayahuasca for that. Like she literally helped bring me home. That is a new theory that I have around Aya and the eyes because my eyes changed too. And I noticed that your eyes changed too, Lana, this week especially. Maybe it was also Sananga too, but your eyes have changed. I think it was that New Year's psilocybin ceremony I had too, but it's like they are present now. I'm like sitting on Zoom calls all day and I'm just like staring at my eyes and being like, wow, when did I get these? (laughs) Yeah, they're like awakened. Totally, totally. And I mean, the last thing I want to say here about ceremony is... I was in a ceremony and there's this fireplace in the room and I was sitting on the edge of like the row of mats in this room and the fireplace came on and I was facing a wall. So the fireplace came on and it was kind of illuminating the room a little bit and casting the shadow of my silhouette on this wall that I was facing. And I had this moment and I burst out laughing and I was like, ha, good one, ayahuasca, like, ha. <laughs> I'm like sitting with my shadow. I get it. (laughs) Oh my God. Everything hits different on plant medicine. (laughs) Everything has a meaning. Yes. Everything has a meaning. And I was like, I get it. Ha ha. Like the whole thing that I'm doing here, working with you in this room month after month is like sitting with my shadow. And I just got so fucking comfortable with my shadow this year that it doesn't even phase me anymore. I'm just like, yeah, it's there. I acknowledge it. 
Let's look at it. It's fine. I'm just ready to face it. And then after that, I was like, okay, but let's, uh, let's start stepping into this light. Let's start stepping into this light that is also within me because we're not just shadow beings. We're also light beings. Yes. So that was a really cool shift in my work with the mother. Oh, I love it. A funny moment I had in ceremony once was we, it was one of this shaman at Rhythmia has the first hour be completely silent without music. So that's interesting also. That's like the Shipibo tradition, isn't yes. it? Yeah. When it's I, all silent. Yes. And then all of a sudden the medicine starts to hit people because some people start yawning like myself. That tends to be a trend. And <laughs> all of a sudden this man, I think he was Australian. He like yells, ah! And then of course everyone's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? He's like, mother nature is back online. And <laughs> And like, I guess it was really awakening to him at that time. And then all of a sudden people start laughing, but then all of a sudden the, the waves of purges started to happen. And I remember just like feeling so like lighthearted after that comment, like, yeah, mother nature is back online. She is here right now. And <laughs> she is doing all the healing for us <laughs> and helping us so much. But then people started having these waves of purges. And then I just started laughing hysterically. I'm like, we're all here puking up our childhoods <laughs> like we are yeah. all here puking up our childhoods like that's what and we're all doing puking up each other's childhoods yes. like that's the other thing right ceremony like he's puking and she's puking and you're all puking each other's stuff and it's yeah yeah and i guess maybe we'll leave it at that <laughs> okay last question to close this off on a high note <laughs> that doesn't have to do with purging yeah. as much as i love purging what was the highest or most exciting or like best moment or ceremony in your journey so far? It was my third ayahuasca ceremony. I have a full story time about this on YouTube. It's called The Universe Rewards the Brave. And in this, this I purged in the ceremony. I mean, that one deserves its own full length story time but I'll give you some small details, which will paint the picture. It was a full moon in the jungle. It was a thunderstorm, but the sky was clear and you could see the full moon like through the palm trees and stuff. And it was a female shaman, Sarah. She's absolutely incredible. She's such a goddess. And oh my gosh, basically what I did was I'll tell you the series of events, lied in abandonment for 45 minutes to an hour. I was so scared. But one of the helpers at Rhythmia, his name was Jurgen. He held my hand for like 45 minutes while I cried because Aya was there and she was showing me love in my body, but she was telling me that it was really scary, that there was something that I had to see, but it was going to scare me a little bit. And I was terrified. And then all of a sudden, I just surrendered over to her and I purged into the bucket. And this is when I saw my mom's childhood and what happened to her. And I brought her to forgiveness. She was, I brought her to forgive her abuser. I forgave the unforgivable, essentially. And after that, ayahuasca showed me all my ancestors. My mom was adopted, so I really have no idea who, what they would look like, but I saw them all at least seven generations before just like standing all around me being so happy that I did this work because I literally puked my guts out that night. That was a full purge evening. And I saw my ancestors 
it was so wild. And then as the ceremony was ending, I should say, as I was coming down, the lightning was striking. So it would like light up the maloka. And each time it was lighting, so people were up and dancing at this point, right? They're in the celebration mode as they're coming down from the medicine. And oh, it was so beautiful. I didn't have the energy to get up. Like my entire body was took a beating. <laughs> but I was lying there in my mattress watching everyone dance around with the shaman to the music around the altar that was there. And each time that that light would flash into the room, I was taken back to a previous life where we were all part of an Amazonian tribe. And it was like back and forth and back and forth. And I was a young child in the Amazon in this tribe. And I shared that experience in the debrief we had the following day. And Jerry said that at least one person each week who attends Rhythmia has that experience where they're taken to a flashback of a past life where all of these people who are in the experience now were part of a tribe in the Amazon at some I've heard point. of that, yeah. And that was just so beautiful, so unforgettable. There were so many layers, so many depths to that one, but it was the and fact like, that- And like, you know that that's true. Yes. You know that that's true. I would say like the big lesson was like, I chose to be brave. Doing plant medicine work, doing this healing work, it takes the brave. Not to like toot our own horns, but <laughs> well, no, seriously, <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it, it takes it's courage, not for the faint of heart. Yeah, especially those who return to the medicine, right? There's people who are like, "Oh yeah, I'll try it and then do it once," but fear presents. It's not you have to work through different layers of fear and resistance to do the medicine each and every time. But the gifts, Zoe, the gifts, the blessings, the lessons, the teachings. I mean, there's nothing better. Yeah, of course. Of course. What about you, Lana? What's your most unforgettable ceremony? I would have to say this past New Year's, that was a very special one for me. It was, you know, New Year's Eve 2020, 2020 going into 2021. Here in Toronto, everyone was on lockdown. Like I think they had just introduced way more strict measures. And I was actually saying it, your place, Zoe. Yeah. And I was with my spirit animal, Gandam the cat. <laughs> And we were, yeah, he's our shaman animal, animal shaman, for sure. And I was staying at Zoe's and all of my friends were like, really scared of COVID and not really doing anything and not much was going on. And I was like, you know what? I don't even want to be with anyone. I just want to be with myself. And I want to have a ceremony. That is what my heart wants. And there was a little bit of fear as there is, if you're going to do a ceremony on your own, which I definitely do not recommend to people, don't be like me. But yeah, I decided to do a ceremony on my own. And I just like set up the apartment to be really beautiful. I put candles everywhere. I have this like 10 hour long playlist that we can link if you guys want to listen to that just has the most beautiful music ever. It is the best playlist ever. It's the but it's the only yeah. thing I ever listened to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and had the ceremony, open sacred space, like did the whole thing. And the song came on, and this was a little bit, this was definitely in the second half of the journey. And I was in a pretty good place by this point, which is why I decided it was safe enough for me to journey on my own. But the song came on. It's called Shante Ishta. We'll link it. In the lyrics, 
the woman is repeating the lyrics here and now I call upon my soul to return home and become whole. And this lyric just kept repeating and repeating. It's like a 15 minute long song. And I have this realization that, oh my God, I've done all this work. I've healed so much. I am in a place of joy. Like I feel good after feeling so horrible for so long. I haven't told my soul to come home yet. And I just like burst out crying, A, because I'm like, oh my God, my soul can come home now because it's safe because I'm not going to betray it and I'm never going to put myself through the pain and suffering that I used to think that I was worthy and deserving of because I was just attracting, you know, the bad relationships, the bad habits, all of that. I was just attracting that because I believe that I was unworthy anything but just a disclaimer, like that's not to say that we always attract every negative circumstance in our lives. Obviously, there's greater social things that many of us definitely don't attract and are not responsible for creating in our lives. But I realized that it was time for my soul to come home because I was going to be a loving vessel for it and I was going to take care of it. So I was just like listening to this song and like looking up at the sky and just being like, you can come home. And it was such a beautiful moment. And I just cried and cried and cried and cried. And I could like, feel the presence of my shamans with me, like there with me. And it was just probably the most beautiful moment of my life. And then after that, I went into the bathroom and I just stared at myself in the mirror, which everyone's like, don't do that. I just stared in the mirror. And it was like, for the first time in my life, I could see myself as I was, and I could see my beauty. And I could see myself the way that other people saw me. And I just have never had an experience like that before. I was just so there for myself. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Lana. So beautiful. So beautiful. You, you know, you set the sacred space for yourself. I don't think we mentioned that this was with psilocybin and not ayahuasca. Yes. But you set the sacred space for yourself. You had a powerful intention and like you were just intentional about the entire thing. And you allowed the music to guide you, the space to guide you, Gandam to guide you in these different ways. And then you just allowed yourself to heal, right? To cry and create more space and to call your soul home yeah. for the new year. For 2021, baby. Yes. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. If you've stuck around until now, then we love you. Very yeah, we're so grateful. <laughs> and we look forward to sharing more of our experiences with all of you and hope that this granted you some insights, answered some questions, inspired you in different ways, helped you along your integration journey. And yeah, we yeah. love you. <laughs> we're just here to share and be one with the community, really. Yeah. So stay tuned for more, you guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to share space with us on the Modern Psychedelics podcast today. We're on social media at Modern Psychedelics. Please like, share, and subscribe for more expansive content on a daily basis. If this episode sparked something within, please let us know by leaving a review of our podcast on Apple. The work begins after you come back down to earth, and we're standing shoulder to shoulder with you doing it.